Reading today is taken from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 29. Let's just think, it's 1989 years ago this event occurred. As soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs who never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say unto the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things while the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right hand, the other on his left. Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him and said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was then about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight that took place, they beat their breasts and went away. And those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. May God bless to us the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Father, we stand at the foot of the cross this morning and we ask you to show to us its significance. Open our eyes so that we may see the weight of sin, the ferocity of your judgment, and yet your deep mercy and love and grace. Help us see the cross for what it truly is, Help us to be changed by it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I'm one of those people that enjoys doing a whole lot of things that I'm not actually very good at. 
You might be the same. You might have hobbies that you love, but eh, you're not so great. I love mountain biking, for example, but I'm also scared of big jumps. But I still have fun doing it. I love playing the piano, but you guys have heard that I'm still about as good as I was when I was in primary school. I love surfing, but my version of surfing is mostly paddling and then getting dumped. And I love all these hobbies. It's okay, you don't need to kind of console me. I'm okay with it. I enjoy, even though I'm not very good. Another one of these hobbies that I have that I'm not very good at is photography. I love heading out with my camera. A great day is is going out and taking some photos. Uh, But the thing with photography is that if you're good, you can take a pretty boring scene and make a stunning photo. Because a good photographer will go out and they'll get the background and the foreground, they'll get the detail, they'll get the lighting, they'll get the focus, they'll get all the shadows, they'll get it all perfectly balanced and framed and it will look stunning. But I am not a good photographer, and so instead of going out and getting one perfect shot, what I do is take a hundred average shots, and each one of them is missing something. And every so often, though, every so often, you can come to a particularly gorgeous scene. might be a breathtaking lookout, a vibrant seascape, a, a tranquil creek that is so beautiful so stunning that it doesn't even matter that you can be an awful photographer and you just can't take a bad photo of it. Every angle just looks stunning. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we come to gaze at one of those scenes. We come to look at a scene so beautiful, so perfect, that for 1989 years, as Jeff correctly pointed out, it has brought people to their knees in awestruck wonder. And still today, this very day, hundreds of millions of people around the world are going to stop, to gaze, to marvel, to stand amazed at the beauty of the cross. And of course, the the cross itself is, is not beautiful, it's ugly, it's horrific, it's gruesome. But when we see its significance, when we see what was accomplished at the cross, we will marvel. This Good Friday, we come to fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's my hope this morning that when you see the cross, that you'll see much more than just the event of Jesus dying for our sin. Because, of course, it is that. The cross is the event of Jesus dying. But to think it is just that is like saying the Taj Mahal is just a building or the Grand Canyon is just a hole in the ground. It it doesn't do it justice. Because when we come to the cross, every time we look, we see something new, a new facet of its beauty. You see, from one angle, we can look at the cross and we can see God's sovereignty as with absolute control, he uses the very worst thing that has ever been done by humans to achieve the very best thing that could ever be done for humans. And then we can shift our gaze and we can see God's holiness at the cross as the righteous God demands payment for sin. We take another look at the cross and we see God's purpose for this world as he calls people from every tribe and nation into relationship with himself. 
Friends, look again at the cross and you'll see God's justice as he holds evildoers to account. Shift your focus and you'll see God's mercy as he holds out an offer of free and full forgiveness to the people who were nailing him to that cross. At the cross, we see God's compassion as Jesus pleads for the forgiveness of his killers. At the cross, we see God's sorrow as he grieves over all that is not right in this world. At the cross, we see God's faithfulness as he comes good on the promises that he made to Adam and to Abraham and to David. At the cross, we see God's love as the Son of God lays down his life for us. And friends, I could keep going. There is a very good reason that there is a cross on our wall. There's a very good reason that the cross is the symbol of our faith. Because at the cross, we see God for who he truly is. We will never cease to be amazed at the richness and depth of what was accomplished at the cross. And so friends, this morning, if nothing else, I want you to leave here with a newfound appreciation, a realisation that the cross is every bit as important, every bit as significant, every bit as life-changing as it was on that very first Good Friday that we just read about. There are so many things that we could talk about when we come to the cross. But this morning, there's actually just three things that I want to show you. Three things that will amaze us when we gaze upon the cross. Three life-changing truths that the cross teaches us about ourselves. You can see them if you've got an outline. Firstly, the cross shows us how desperately lost we are. Secondly, the cross shows us how deeply loved we are. And finally, the cross shows us how definitely certain we can be. So the first thing that Jesus' death on a cross shows us is that you and I have a problem. And it's a bigger problem than you think. Now, I'm fairly confident that if I were to ask you, you would, almost everyone here, in fact, I, I would say everyone here believes that there is something wrong with this world. I think you'd agree with me there. You can look, just look at the news on your phone this morning and you'll see lots and lots of evidence telling you that there is something not right with this world. There is evil in this world. There is wrongdoing. Just look at the news this week. There's war, there's violence, there's abuse, there's neglect, there's crime, there's bullying, there's hate. It is easy to see that there is something that is not right in this world. But we could go another step further, can't we? Because I suspect that most of you would be willing to admit that you aren't perfect all the time. Maybe I'm saying too much, but I think most of you would admit that, you know, sometimes you're selfish and sometimes you're inconsiderate. But I think we can go another step further because if you're someone who believes that there is a God who created this world, who owns this world, who rules this world, I suspect most of you would be willing to admit that you don't always pay attention to what he says is right and wrong. Now, maybe you disagree, but if you agree with me, if you agree that there is something wrong with this world, if you agree that you're not perfect, and if you agree that you don't always acknowledge God and do what he says, well, 
what you have admitted to is the problem of sin. If you admit that you don't love God with every fibre of your being, and if you admit that you don't love and care for your neighbours with all the energy and intensity with which you love yourself, you're admitting to this problem of sin. But here's the real question. What consequence do you think your sin deserves? If there were to be a punishment for your sin, which you've admitted to, what should that punishment be? I mean, you can ask the same question of other punishments. I read this week that the the fines for speeding in Queensland are going up. Did you see that? Be careful. And whether you think that is a good thing will be directly related to whether you think speeding or running red lights or not wearing seatbelts is a serious danger. If you think speeding is a legitimate threat to the safety of people, you might support increasing the fines. If you don't, you won't. But what should the punishment for sin be? What would be reasonable? What do you think you deserve for your wrongdoing? Do you see what the cross shows us? The fact that Jesus died for sins shows us that death is exactly what our sin requires. The wages of sin is death, writes the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. But do you believe that? Because I doubt that many of you here this morning actually feel deep down within yourself that you deserve to die for your sin. No one thinks that. Because we all think that our sin is a small problem, a a tiny blemish, a little indiscretion. But friends, do you see, that, that just shows us how deeply embedded our sin is. The one thing that is worse than having a problem is having a problem and thinking that you don't have a problem. Ask anyone that's overcome addiction and they will tell you that. The first thing you need to do is see that you have a problem and it's not a small problem. And thinking that our sin is a small problem, it fails to comprehend that all of us have lived in open rebellion to the God who made us, who owns us. You see, we think sin is small because we fail to see that this is God's world and that he has the right to decide how it should run, that he has the right to rule us. See, we don't believe that. We believe that we should be in control, and and that that is our sin talking. Friends, it is a huge problem. And if God is a God of justice, then the only fair thing for him to do is to punish our sin. And the punishment we deserve is death. A death like Jesus' death. A lonely, God-forsaken death. I told you I was going to tell you three amazing things about the cross, didn't I? The first thing doesn't sound that amazing, does it? But the first thing you need to see when you look at the cross is that it was your sin that held him there. We sung those words this morning, didn't we? It was my sin that held him there. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is addressing the crowds at Pentecost. He's addressing people that may or may not have actually been in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was killed. It's very, very unlikely, and I think it's safe to say, that these people were not directly responsible. The people that Peter is addressing did not drive the nails into Jesus' hands. 
They may not have even been in the crowds calling for his crucifixion. They were not directly responsible. Do you know what Peter says to them? You killed Jesus. They weren't responsible. They might not have even been there. And Peter says, you did it. And he could say the same thing to me. And he could say the same thing to you. And until we see that our sin is so grievous that it deserves death, we'll never see our need for the cross. The only way, friends, the only way that our sin can be dealt with without our own death is the death of a perfect substitute. And so at the cross, Jesus gives us exactly what we needed. The first amazing thing, and it is amazing, the first amazing thing that we must face at the cross is that we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. There was no other way. There was no other solution. But it's amazing because the second truth is that at the same time, while we are so sinful that Jesus had to die, we are so deeply loved by Jesus that he was willing to die for us. The way Luke writes this account of Jesus' death, he makes one thing clear. Jesus is not a passive recipient. He's not, he's not just a victim in this story. Now, if you've been reading the book of Luke all the way through, you'll see that Jesus willingly went to the cross. He volunteered himself to the cross. In fact, he deliberately went to the cross. Way back in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, he, he asks them, who do people say that I am? And you remember Peter says, you're God's Messiah. He gets it right. He gets it absolutely on the money. You are God's chosen king. And what does Jesus say? The Son of Man must die. And a little bit later on in that chapter, Luke writes that from that time on, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, the place where he would die. See, Jesus was determined to die. He was not going to let anything get in his way. Do you know why he was so determined to die? You. Because he loved you. You know this verse, and yet you, we fail to see how incredible it is. For God so loved this world that he gave his one and only Son. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only Son. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the depths of God's love for you at the cross? The love that you have something will determine the effort that you put in to save it. You know this. If you drop a pen, you probably don't love it that much unless it's your favorite pen. If you drop a pen, you'll put a little bit of effort into getting it, won't you? You'll bend over. If it's your favorite pen, you'll search for it for a few minutes. If you lose money, you'll spend more time trying to get it. But if you lose your child, that's a whole other story, isn't it? You'll stop at nothing to find your child. How much you love something determines how much you are willing to do for it. Well, friends, do you see what Jesus was willing to do for you? 
He was willing to leave his throne in heaven. He was willing to be born on this earth as a man. He was willing to be hated, to be persecuted, to be trialed, to be arrested, to be beaten and mocked and shamed. He was willing to be publicly executed. And he was willing to do it for you. Have you ever considered, what did Jesus gain by coming to earth and dying for us? Because remember, he is God. He has everything. The universe belongs to him. It was made in him and through him and for him. He has everything. What did he gain that he didn't already have when he came to earth? Do you know what it was? The one thing that he gained that he didn't have is you. That's why he came, for you. That is his one sole purpose for you. And Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. There was one thing that motivated him, one thing that brought him joy. And do you know what that thing was? It was you. Friends, the first thing that we need to see when we look to the cross is that we are more desperately lost than we think. But the second thing that we need to see at the cross is that we are more deeply loved than you can even imagine. The Son of God, the perfect Son of God, was willing to die for you. But there is a third thing that we must see when we look at the cross. We must see that our sin required the cross. We must see that God's love motivated the cross. But the third thing that we must see is that because Jesus went to the cross. You can be absolutely certain that you can be forgiven. You can be absolutely certain that you can have a relationship with the living God and that there is nothing between you and him. You can be absolutely certain in that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And friends, you need to see how good that news is. Because we live in a world of people who are trying to prove themselves. And maybe you are trying to prove yourself. We live in a world where people think they need to earn something. They need to achieve something. To be worthy of something. Even even Christians do that. We, We feel that we need to do something to earn God's love. And so what do we do? We look to our own good works and we think, I'm a good person. God must love me. Or we look to our membership in church and say, I'm in. Or we look to our performance. We look to our faith. We think that it is in these things, that it is something in us that makes us worthy of God's love. But do you see what we see at the cross? Have a look at the thief on the cross. Luke doesn't record it, but the other Gospels say that moments before his death, he was abusing Jesus with his other mate. There's two criminals, and they were both hurling insults at Jesus. He had lived a sinful life. He had done a thing worthy of the death penalty. He was guilty. He'd never been baptized. He'd never been in a Bible study. He'd never been to church. He didn't know anything about the Christian faith. But do you know what Jesus says to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He made it. He he got to heaven. What did he do to achieve that? Can can you just imagine? 
Alistair Begg, he's a, he's a pastor in America, he's a Scottish guy. He, he puts it like this. Just imagine what happened when the thief got to heaven. You imagine him walking up to the gates and there's the angel standing there and he says, oh, what are you doing here? And what's the man going to say? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Well, hold on. How are you here? On what basis are you thinking that you can enter heaven? Starts asking this man some questions. All right, well, tell me. um, Can you tell me about the doctrine of justification by faith? The man says, I've never heard of it. Well, tell me about scripture. Can you you tell me about the Bible? Then I don't know. The guy's just standing there. The angels are are baffled in frustration. They ask, on what basis are you here? And what does the man say? What's the only thing he can say? The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. And friends, that is our only answer. There is nothing that we can point to in of ourselves That makes us worthy of salvation. That means we can be forgiven. That means we can go to heaven. There is nothing. You can't point to your heritage. You can't point to your membership at this church. You can't point to being in a Bible study. You can't even point to your own faith. Do you know what you can point to? The man on the middle cross said, you can come. Let me pray. Father, at the cross, we are confronted with our sin. When we see the pain, the suffering, the torment, as the perfect Son of God was forsaken by you for us, we see that Jesus died the death that we should have died. And so, Lord, this morning we acknowledge our sin. We recognize that we are deserving of your wrath because we have failed to love you with our whole heart and we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. But, Lord, at the cross we rejoice because we see that we are more loved than we could ever dare hope. That Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was willing to go to the cross in our place that he was willing to die so that we might live, that he took up our sin upon himself so that we could share in his righteousness. Lord, overwhelm us with that joy. Remind us of how deeply loved we are so that we may rest in the finished work of Christ. Keep us from ever having to try and prove ourselves. Keep us from ever thinking that there is something in us that makes us worthy of your love. Remind us of the cross, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.